Bibles so that you can follow along and and see what is written as we uh, do our study for today. Before we begin today's study, I might want to um, take some time to help those of you who haven't been here the last two weeks uh, catch up on where we we are. We um, are involved in a series right now called Believe. And two weeks ago, as we began the series, we simply tried to answer the question from the Scripture, how does a person receive salvation? And we found overwhelmingly that the answer in Scripture was by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ over and over again. That is the statement, the most common statement made concerning how one receives salvation by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, of course, we need to ask a question. If that's how a person receives God's salvation by believing in Jesus Christ, what does it mean to believe? What is that? What is believing in Jesus Christ? And so last week, we began to talk about different kinds of belief, because the Bible does suggest there are different kinds of belief. Uh, In James chapter 2, verse 14, uh, James makes this statement. He he says uh, that there is a certain kind of belief that he calls dead, not living. And he talks about a belief that doesn't impact the life. A belief where there's no evidence in the life of any belief. And then he makes this statement. Can that kind of belief save you? So what James is suggesting to us is that there's more than one kind of belief. Because he's suggesting there's a kind of belief that does not save And yet we found in the first study that salvation comes through belief, through believing in Jesus. So last week we talked about one kind of belief that does not bring salvation. And we called it acknowledgement belief. Acknowledgement belief, to just put briefly, is where you acknowledge the facts that the Bible teaches. You acknowledge the facts about Jesus. Uh, You give intellectual assent to what's taught in Scripture about Jesus. You agree with the facts. But that's as far as it goes. That belief doesn't go any farther. There's no response to that belief. Nothing happens in the life that would show you believe in Jesus. And if you recall, James says even the demons have that kind of belief. The demons believe the facts about Jesus. But they're obviously not saved. And we looked at some other examples of that kind of belief. So, acknowledgement belief. It's not the belief that we're talking about when we talk about believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's got to be a different kind of a belief. Today we're going to look at another kind of belief 
that I would suggest to you does not bring salvation. And uh, I'm asking God to really speak to hearts today, especially those who will have to uh, relate to this. Let's pray first. Father, guide us now as we go into this next part of this series. Father, as we look at your scriptures, uh, give us enough understanding to to respond, to know how to respond to uh, to what we're talking about. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he did to provide salvation. Help us to understand what it means to believe in him for that salvation. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, let me start with uh, describing some situations that very possibly could confuse us. And perhaps similar situations have confused us in the past. They've confused me. First situation. A child prays for salvation with her mom at the age of five, but grows up in rebellion and becomes a young lady who is an atheist. But she prayed with her mom at age five for salvation. A second situation. A man goes forward at an evangelistic service. Could be Billy Graham, Promise Keepers, any kind of evangelistic service. But a man goes forward at an evangelistic service and prays with a counselor. But... He goes home and continues to live the same sinful life he was living before he went to those services. But he prayed with a counselor for salvation. <clears throat> a third situation. A camper returns home from teen camp, excited about a commitment made and getting baptized, but... After a month back in school, he's again with the same crowd and has decided that Christianity and the Bible are not true. But wait a minute. He made a commitment at camp and even got baptized. And then a fourth. A girl grows up in the church. Involved in everything offered. But she goes off to college and is mentored by a philosophy professor and ends up in the cult that he is part of. What's going on in those situations? I would guess some of them you can remember something similar in your past. And it can be confusing. What is going on there? Because it seems like in every one of those situations, there was a point in time, there was an experience that led to somebody believing in Jesus. Jesus. 
I can think of three possibilities <clears throat> to the question, what's going on there? <clears throat> and uh, each one is hard to hear. First possibility. That these people in those situations were saved, received salvation at those times in those settings. But later on, because of what was going on in their life and their choices, they lost that salvation. Another possibility is that each of these people were saved, truly saved in those situations and moments. But because they were given salvation at those moments when they believed, it really doesn't matter how they lived after that or the choices they made. They were set because that one moment and that one experience is all that was needed. So it's okay how they decided to live or believe from then on. A third possibility is that each of those four people maybe were never really saved. There was a moment, there was an experience. They believed, they said they believed, what if it wasn't the kind of belief that saves? What if it was a different kind of belief? And it was proven as they went on to live the life and make the choices that they did. There's three possibilities. You know, uh, personally, I would struggle with the first one because my understanding of Scripture is if you are genuinely saved, you don't lose that salvation. So I struggle with that option, personally. I struggle with the second option, personally, because from my understanding of Scripture, it matters how you live after you have claimed some belief in Jesus. That if it's genuine salvation, it makes a difference. It, it impacts your life. It does matter. So at least for me personally, I'm left with number three. Maybe it was a different kind of belief than the Bible talks about when it says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Maybe it's a kind of belief like James mentioned that does not save. If that's the case, then what kind of belief is that? What kind of belief did those four people have? That's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the parable of the sower and the seed briefly. Because I think that gives us some insight on this. Then we're going to look at disciples who turned away in the Gospel of John. 
And then also in the Gospel of John, we're going to look at the believers who picked up stones. And I'm going to suggest to you that in all three scriptures, we're dealing with a belief, but it's a belief that does not bring salvation. Okay? So let's start in the book of Mark, chapter 4. This is probably the most familiar parable that Jesus told in his ministry. A parable being uh, an earthly-type story, a story that deals with things that the listeners are very familiar with, and yet there is a, a spiritual message. There, there's something uh, being presented by Jesus about the kingdom of God, about um, Him, about the Lord. This is the most familiar one. It's the sower and the seed. In um, verse 3, Uh, We have the telling of the story. He says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. They withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Notice the story is about a farmer um, sowing seed. And in the story, the seed falls on four different kinds of ground, four different kinds of soil, as you see. There's the, the path, the rocky places among the thorns, and then the good soil. And on only one of those soils do you have something happen, fruit. Something is produced. There's growth. There's life. And that's the fourth one, the good soil. Then we come a little further in the chapter to Verse 14, and Jesus now with his disciples is going to explain to them what he meant. What was the truth that he was communicating through that parable? So let's see what he says. Verse 14, the farmer sows the word. So the seed represents the word. And uh, specifically, I'm going to suggest it's the word that Jesus was proclaiming. It's the message he was presenting in his ministry. Okay? But it's the word. That's the seed. Okay? Then he says, some people are like. Verse 16, others are like. Verse 18, still others are like. And verse 28, others are like. So what's he saying? The ground, the soil that the seed fell on represents people. Four different types of people. And how they respond to the word that's sown. And I want us to just think about the second one. Uh, Starting in verse 16. He says, others, like seeds sown on rocky places, 
hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. It's temporary. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away or walk away, turn away, forsake. It's the idea, fall away. So Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand that when he goes out and presents his message, the word, he's sowing it. And many different people are hearing it. But there's different kinds of people, different kinds of responses. Some don't care at all. The devil just comes and takes it away right away. There's no response at all. Some hear the message, but uh, like the thorns and the the weeds, uh, there's all kinds of things that get in the way. They're already entangled in wealth and material things and other stuff in their life, and so they don't respond. And then, of course, there's the good soil. There's the people who respond and they receive the message and they believe it. And and you see fruit and you see evidence and there's life. But the one I want you to think about is the second one. The people who are likened to the rocky soil. That one's interesting to me. Because he says they hear the word. And at once, immediately, they receive it with joy. They're excited. And they receive that word with joy. But, since they have no root. You see, on the rocky soil, the soil is real shallow. And there's no root, he says. And what comes from the root? Life. And he says, because there's no root, they last a short time, temporarily. And when things get hard, they walk away. They turn away. They fall away. And what's the key in that response? Two words. No root. That's the key, right? Isn't that what he emphasizes? No root. It's just shallow. Probably at first it looks real. But because there's no root and it's shallow, it proves to be temporary. It's not real. Have you noticed these beautiful arrangements up here? Maybe you don't even look at them. They're new. They were just put here last night. They're, they're really attractive. Um, can I tell you a secret? I hope it doesn't disappoint, disappoint you. They're not real. They look real. They look real. But you can come here every week and check these and you'll never see any growth. You'll never see any of these bearing any kind of fruit. 
You know why? Because if you would investigate, there's no root down here. None of these have any roots. And that is what's needed for there to be growth and, and the bearing of fruit and health. They just appear to be real. I think that's what Jesus is describing. He's saying there's one kind of person who, when they hear the word, when they hear the truth, they get excited and immediately, he says, quickly, they respond out of joy, out of emotion, <clears throat> out of interest. But not soon after, when things get tough and the joy subsides and the excitement fades away, they turn away. They walk away. Turn with me to John chapter 6. <clears throat> we can't just look at one passage and come to our conclusion. We've got to see if there's a, a pattern here of thought. John chapter 6. <clears throat> Let's start in verse 60. That's well into the chapter, but verse 60. It says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? The next verse says that his disciples were grumbling about what he had said. Then in verse 66, from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So first of all, notice who we're talking about. Three times in this chapter, the people we're talking about are called disciples. Followers. That's good, isn't it? But if you start at the beginning of the chapter, you find out why they're following Jesus. Why they are followers, disciples. It's because of what they've seen and what they've heard. They're excited about the miracles they've seen Jesus perform. They're excited about the demons being cast out of people. They witnessed it. They're excited because they were there when Jesus fed the 5,000 bread and fish miraculously. And so they have chosen to follow him. And the first part of the chapter talks about them just trying to find out where is the guy. We've got to keep following him. We've got to go where he goes. We want to listen to him. We want to see him do more things. And then they finally find Jesus. And as you read the chapter, Jesus begins to teach them things that are hard. He begins to teach them that there's more than just the excitement of the miracles. There's more than the excitement of the multiplying a little bit of bread. He gets more serious about commitment and submission to him and believing in him. He even tells them he came from above. And he starts 
talking about his identity and who he is. And they're having a hard time with this. Who's having a hard time with it? Disciples. Followers. And so we see in verse 60, on hearing it, this teaching, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is too hard. We can't accept what he's saying. Then verse 61 They grumble about what Jesus has been teaching. Who's grumbling? Disciples. And then, verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turn back and no longer followed him. But they're called disciples. They're called followers. And yet they're grumbling. They don't accept what Jesus is teaching. And eventually they turn away. They walk away, never to follow him. Turn to chapter 8. By the way, does that situation sound like the parable of the sower and the seed? That second kind of soil? Initial excitement, quickly grabbing onto it, following. But then when it got hard, when they realized what it's going to involve, they walk away. Why? Two words. No what? Root. Shallow. John chapter 8. Starting in verse 30. It says, even as he spoke, many believed in him. Rah, rah. This is great. Many are believing in Jesus as he's speaking. Verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said. Now you got to keep that in mind, okay? We've been told that many believed in Jesus. They believed his teaching. Then it says, to the ones who believed, he says something. And so as you read on, we have what he is saying to who? The Jews who believed. That's who he's talking to. People who believed. Notice what he says to people who believed. Verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Hmm. Does Jesus have some doubts? He says, if you do this, then you're really my disciples. It's it's as though he has some doubts about it. We come to uh, verse 37. He says, you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. Who's he saying that to? Those who believed. Verse 42, he says to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Verse 44, 
You belong to your father, the devil. Who's he saying that to? Verse 31. The Jews who believed. Is that any way to talk to people who believe in you? Uh, Verse 47, at the end. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. He's saying that to those who believed. We go on in verse 49, toward the end. He says, I honor my father and you dishonor me. He's saying that to people who believed. In verse 55, he's just talked about his relationship with God. And he says, though you do not know him. He's saying that to people who believed. Did you find that interesting? It's as though Jesus knew something about these people who believed. It sounds like Jesus is suggesting there's a kind of belief that doesn't bring any kind of salvation. Because they believed. The Scripture says they did. But you see the things Jesus said to those who believed? Their father's the devil. They don't belong to him, to, to God. They don't love him, Jesus. They don't know God. But they believed. And then, to kind of give credence to what Jesus says, At the end of the chapter, these people who believe pretty much prove Jesus to be right. Because Jesus makes a statement in verse 58. Truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Just an outright claim to being God. And it says, verse 59, at this. They picked up stones to stone him. Who picked up stones to stone Jesus? Verse 30 and 31. The ones who believed him. In fact, earlier in the um, process of this conversation, uh, in verse uh, 48, the Jews say to Jesus, aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Is that anything for someone who believes in Jesus to say? Jesus, you're a Samaritan. Jesus, you're demon-possessed. Let's pick up rocks. Let's kill this guy. The people who believed. What's going on? Could it be another example of what Jesus was saying in the parable? That second kind of person. Excited, interested, curious, pressured, because everybody else is believing. So they believe. But when he starts challenging, when he starts talking more about commitment and, and uh, going deeper with him in that commitment, it's like, that's it, see ya. We're going to kill you. We don't believe you're God. You're demon-possessed. The very people who believed. 
So what I would suggest is that we have three situations that describe a second kind of belief that does not save. And we'll call it preference belief. What is preference belief? Preference belief is where at a moment in time, in a certain setting or experience, out of emotion, out of joy, and I notice I say out of, because people can be truly believing in Jesus and being saved with emotion. But there's a difference between with emotion and out of emotion. When it's out of the emotion, what's controlling? It's the emotion. It's the excitement. It's the thrill. Preference belief is where you prefer to believe out of those things at the time. But then when that wears out and you begin to see what this really means, this believing in and following Jesus thing, you want nothing to do with it. And so you choose to walk away, to turn away, to fall away. That was the one group of people in Jesus' parable. Those were the ones called disciples in John 6. Those were the ones who believed in John 8. What's similar in all three is that it was a very temporary belief out of excitement and joy and emotion and whatever. It was a preferred belief at the time. But at some point, they preferred to leave it and turn away from it. Now, the question becomes, in the parable, are those people, is Jesus indicating that they were saved? Of course not. In that parable, there's only one soil that produced there was only one soil that had life, that took root. In chapter 6, it says they left and never followed him. No longer followed him. Would we say they received salvation? And in chapter 8, they're calling Jesus a demon-possessed man, a Samaritan, and they want to kill him. And they picked up the stones to do so. Is that a sign of true salvation? But they believed. It must have been a different kind of belief. I think it was. I think it was a preference belief. And a preference belief does not save. Why? It never takes root. It never takes root. Um, one final scripture. And then we'll wrap it up. Colossians. Chapter 2, Colossians 2, two. Paul's instruction to the Christians in Colossae, verse 6, Colossians 2. He says to them, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, past tense, 
you received Jesus as Lord. Continue, present tense, continue to live your lives in him. And I'm going to read this as it is literally, okay, in the Greek. Having been what? Rooted. Past tense. Having been rooted. When were they rooted? When they received Jesus as Lord. And he says, since you received Jesus as Lord, having been rooted and being, present tense, built up in him, being strengthened, present tense, in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing, present tense, with thankfulness. Paul says, you received Jesus as Lord, and you were rooted. It took root. And as a result, now you can be built up and strengthened and become thankful people. Why? Because there's life there. Their belief took root. It wasn't surface. It wasn't shallow. It wasn't temporary. It took root. And now he says, you can live in Christ. You can be strengthened. You can be built up. And you can overflow with thankfulness because you received Jesus and were rooted. It went down deep. It was the kind of belief that impacts the life and makes a difference. It wasn't preference belief. So, can you relate to that at all? Preference belief? Do you remember a moment in time or an experience or a place where out of excitement, out of emotion, you were really crying hard? Out of pressure because everyone else was doing it? Out of interest because this really sounded interesting to you? Whatever it was. But out of that, you decided to believe. Maybe even pray a prayer. And maybe that joy and that excitement lasted a few weeks. I don't know how long. But then you began to realize what it meant to really be a follower of Christ. And you decide you want nothing to do with it. You preferred it then. It was exciting. But at some point you decided, I don't prefer that. I prefer my old life. Maybe you can identify with that. Well, let me be honest with you. If you're that kind of person, do you realize how many people you've confused? You need to realize that. How many people you've confused? Because on the surface, you made it look like it was real. And you were excited. And you were really into it. And then soon, they just saw you 
go the other direction. It's really confusing to people because they're trying to figure out what's going on here. You know, what's going on? Well, what's going on, friends, is that there has been a preference belief. No root. Not the kind of belief that brings salvation. Acknowledgement belief doesn't bring salvation. It's just agreeing with the facts, um, you know, intellectual assent, whatever you want to call it. Doesn't bring salvation. Preference belief. It's just shallow, it's temporary. Doesn't bring salvation. So, what kind of belief brings salvation? We'll wrap up the series next week by talking about that kind of belief that brings true salvation. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ because of what he did for us in his death and resurrection. We thank you for true salvation that goes down deep and impacts the entire life. That brings a new life to a person. Father, I pray that if there's someone here today who would have to admit, like last week, just acknowledgement, belief, just agreeing with the facts, that's it, no further. If there's somebody here who has to relate to this preference, belief, excited at one time, interested at one time, but just kind of threw in the towel, walked away. Father, I pray that you would speak to their hearts because, Father, this isn't the end. They can experience true saving belief. Father, I pray that you would speak to their hearts. Lead them to that true belief in Jesus that brings salvation. In his name we pray. Amen.